Okay, well, it's now my very, very great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker today at this special birthday service. Um, his name is Chris Lane, and with his wife, Fliss, they started the St. Albans Vineyard 30 years ago. If you can believe that, he doesn't look old enough, but you know, apparently it was 30 years ago. Started in their living room with just a handful of people, and they now lead a church that's over a 1,000 or I should say they did lead a church that's over a thousand because they retired a week ago. (laughs) However, St. Albans' loss is our gain, and uh, we were in there like a striking stoat to ask Chris to come and uh, speak to us this morning as uh, our guest speaker. Uh, He was uh, an Anglican vicar before going to uh, Anaheim some years ago, Cutting in the story short, spent time with uh, John Wimber in Anaheim and returned with a commission to plant St. Albans Vineyard as one of the very first vineyards in the UK. Chris and Fliss are lovely people. They are lovely friends. We love them to bits. Um, you're going to so much enjoy what he's got to say. He's a great speaker. And um, they have a great church. So would you give a very warm Ellsbury Vineyard kind of welcome to Chris Lane? Well, thanks, Steve. You know, I, I, I couldn't refuse uh, Steve and Lynn when they asked us to, me to come and preach, uh, mainly because actually we're in, in your debt. I want to say thank you to all you guys because unbeknownst to you possibly, you have lent Steve uh, as a member of our succession board for about the last 18 months. And that's been quite a trial, quite a journey. And actually Steve's insight and uh, maturity and, and actually theological insight as well has been absolutely invaluable. So you are well served and well blessed, but, but thank you to you. Give yourselves a round of applause for helping us. Thank you. Okay, yes, so 30 years ago, uh, my wife and I and family started the vineyard in St. Albans, and uh, it was quite a shock to our system. By uh, accident rather than design, although there's anything by accident, I'm sure it was the Lord, we had uh, been through the Anglican church, I'd been a priest, and then we came into uh, the, um, the vineyard, and we'd always been in large churches. In fact, the Anaheim church, where we were sort of interns for a year, uh, it was close on four and a half, five thousand at that time, so it was a really big church. So you can imagine what a shock it was to us to finally arrive in St. Albans and start the St. Albans Vineyard Church. And at the first meeting, there were six of us. Well, seven, I should say. There was myself, there was my wife, there was my four kids and a hamster called Fred. And uh, we counted everything in those days, you know, just to get the numbers up. You know, in fact, if if the kids wanted to bring a teddy or something like that, he got a chair too. Uh, (laughs) So, but, but, you know, the truth of the matter was we felt so uh, inconsequential. We, ha- we were excited. We, we, it hadn't, you know, been something we'd, we'd sprung up into mind two minutes ago. We'd been on a long journey of testing this call to plant a church. But uh, there, suddenly, we were there in St. Albans in a rented house, and I was painting and decorating to put food on the table, and my wife was serving in a, was working in a nursery, and it was really, really tough, I have to say. And, uh, and it was a shock. We were used to collegiality. I was just remarking to Lynn, the lovely buzz in the church, you know, in this place, and, you know, during every, any interval in your is sort of chatting to one another. It's such a buzz to be here, and the kids love the kids' ministry, etc., etc. And well, suddenly, we were just in our lounge, and it was like, oh, what have we done? 
And a number of verses, a number of verses were very meaningful to us. Uh, But this little verse became particularly meaningful because it kind of summarized vision. And it was the story of the mustard seed. And uh, we found ourselves sort of clinging on to that because we felt as small and insignificant as can be. And in fact, curiously enough, and we had not expected this, we found the church in St. Albans, which, of which there were many, many expressions of church. Uh, they were, many of them, large and quote-unquote successful. We found them actually quite hostile towards us. They were threatened by us. Well, I mean, there was... There were six of us and a hamster called Fred. I mean, what's, what's the problem, you know? But we, we, seriously, without going into, I don't want to shame the church, or, but, but it was tough. So we found ourselves really sort of, you know, uh, in a very weak and uh, seemingly dangerous to us place. And so this, this story of the mustard seed, which Jesus teaches, became quite something quite powerful to us. And I think up until that point, if I'm absolutely honest, I just found it a nice, nice little illustration of the kingdom of God and something perhaps that you teach at Sunday school. But suddenly this thing became disproportionately important. So I'm going to read it to you now. I'm sure it'll come up on the screen too. But it's out of uh, Matthew's Gospel, and it's, uh, it's chapter 13 and uh, verse 31. Jesus, he's teaching, and he says this. He told them another parable, another story that illustrates a kingdom truth. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And so we, in that passage, we initially identified with that feeling of just being like a little, little seeds of the kingdom sown into St. Albans. But then we began to cling to that passage because there was life in that little seed. So much so as Jesus taught, it says the kingdom of heaven's like that little seed. And we thought, oh, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because in that seed, it, given time, if it's allowed and is able to flourish, it grows into a plant, a big plant, a big shrub, and so on into a tree. I actually had the opportunity on a number of occasions to minister in India in the Nilgiri Hills right in the south. And up there in the hills, they have these tea plantations. And it's just like you've ever seen on a PG Tips box or on the telly. It's like, well, they look like well-manicured hedges trailing all over the hillside, you know, acres and acres of them. But the land is punctuated by these tall shade trees. And I happened to say to our host one day, what are those trees? And he said, oh, they're mustard trees. And I thought, oh, wow, because these were big things. They were big. And it was, they were obviously left there. Because the land was cleared for tea, except for these trees that punctuated the hillsides. And I said, you know, they're obviously there for a reason. You know, what, what purpose do they serve? He says, well, you know, they give, a, whole, they give a, a place for a whole host of bugs and things that we need and are helpful. But also they provide shade for the workers. You know, we love having them. We've, we foster them. We'll even plant them if there aren't any there because they are so useful. And I just love that. It was such a really, you know, such a marked part of the, the uh, landscape. And so that helped me to sort of have a little vision. So we, we locked onto this verse and many other verses. 
But the more we studied it, we began to realize that there was a kingdom principle in this, which perhaps we'd not, not latched onto quite so enthusiastically or quite so clearly to begin with. The mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, as the scripture says, is planted, and then something happens. That seed actually has to effectively die. In fact, Jesus says in uh, John chapter 12, let's just read that. I think we've got the scripture. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat, is that what we've got up there? A grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so for Fliss and myself, as, we, as, we, as, it, as it really began, began to come home about what we were doing and what we had given up, we began to reflect on our journey to that point and see that there was a, a very important kingdom principle involved. Now, our story up until that point had not just been a whole succession of large churches, but prior to that, we'd actually been in business in Harrogate. Uh, we had a shop of jewelry business in, in, in Harrogate. It was doing rather well. We had a retail store, and we also had a workshop. Uh, we worked, did a lot of commissioned work, uh, and in fact, we'd even been asked to design something for Princess Anne by Harrogate, Borough Council, and all the rest of it. So we were doing well. I was very young. I'm in early 20s, but we just kind of hit a moment right. And I had a partner, and we, we just did you know, really rather well to the degree that we ended up with uh, a beautiful house in three quarters of an acre in a valley where you couldn't see any other houses, just on the edge of the North York Moors, uh, North uh, Nidderdale. And uh, things were really going great, and then God intervened. And that's a whole story in itself, which I can't go into now. But as a result of that encounter with the Lord Jesus, we found him to be so wonderful and we were so profoundly impacted by the fact that he had forgiven us. And that's, I really want you to grasp that. We were profoundly impacted by the fact that he had given us. You know, there is a great danger in the church today that nice people start going to church and they get nicer. I want you to know, and I know you all think I'm very nice. <laughs> I want you all to know that I am a sinner saved. I am a sinner saved. And if up until this point, bless your heart, and it happens, and it's nothing wrong, it does happen to some of us, you just thought you were nice and you were taught to go to church, so you've come to church, or you just found your way to church and you're getting nicer, you know, you, you, you really do need to reflect on the Scriptures. Because it says in the Scriptures that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All need His forgiveness. So Chris and I were just deeply impacted by the forgiveness of God. And after that, quite frankly, because of, you know, the benefits of forgiveness is relationship with God. Suddenly God, who seems far away, and Jesus, who we didn't know anything about, suddenly becomes very personal to us. And His Spirit courses through our veins. And, and, and what's more, it's not just all that now, but it's the hope of heaven, the hope of glory that's to come. You know, when you start considering all of that, suddenly, whatever God seems to ask of us, you know, if God says jump, we just say, how high? Nothing seems unreasonable. And so we, 
in this sort of, and there was nobody to say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. We were being like a sovereign encounter. We actually ended up selling our house, and we gave all the money away. We gave it to an inner city church in Leeds. Really, really rough. And we felt God was saying to us to give the money to that. The vicar nearly fell off his pulpit when we told him. And we said, we want you to set up a fund so that when people come to you in dire straits or in need, you can, you know, you, you can buy that single mum that washing machine that just blew up. Or you can you know, help that person with the back rent or whatever like that. He was just completely blown away. The, you know, the borders, and we, just, we felt, right, great. No, no, seriously, you can have that. There were lots of other ramifications. And I want to say this before I move on, because I don't want to get stuck on that. Fliss and I have tried to give everything away twice now. But God keeps blessing us. And, you know, I I was praying this morning, not considering this thing, I was just having my time with the Lord. But but God just keeps blessing us. And, uh, you know, we find ourselves retiring. Yeah, we retired last Sunday. And... uh, you know, I, I'm in that fortunate place that I find myself owning a house. And I think, how did that happen? What went wrong? I gave, thought I gave everything away. <laughs> God just keeps blessing us. We've not sought that. But there's another kingdom principle. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'll say it a third time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these other things will be added unto you. You see, when we're chasing after those other things and leaving a sort of piece of the pie for God, we got it round the wrong way. Now, I do want to say at this point, we weren't particularly spiritual, nor nor are we now. We weren't particularly clever. It just seemed to us as sinners saved that whatever God required of us was perfectly reasonable. Jesus had died on the cross for us, for heaven's sake. What more do you want? So anyway, we're in this place where we're beginning to understand, we're beginning to see this this profound kingdom principle in this passage of Scripture that everything requires us to surrender. In order to take hold of what God has, we have to let go. And if there were one little thing that I wanted to say on this 21st anniversary, as a sense that you've arrived, is this, that there's a new beginning for you. It's not, oh, we've arrived, 21st. We're of age now, coming of age. But with every new beginning, there is a necessary ending. I'll say it again. Go up on the screen, I think, got that. With every new beginning, there's a necessary ending. Now, this is a very important kingdom principle, which is getting a bit lost in the clamor of what modern Christianity, first world Christianity looks like. Because there is another more attractive gospel. Gospel means good news. It's the kind of word that we tend to use in church. Forgive me if I'm being a bit churchy here. But we talk about the gospel, the good news. But there is another gospel around at the moment and it's been around for a while, it's been around through all the ages, where, where basically people are saying, you know, if you come to Jesus, you'll know love and joy and peace, and God will bless you. 
I heard it, I read an article just recently, they talked about the gospel of America. Well, I think it's you know, unfair to blame all the Americans on everything, although we can blame them for most things. But, but I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I have American uh, grandchildren and all the rest of it. But there is a gospel of the age, the spirit of the age. And in that, it's like, you know, don't give up on your dreams. You know, seek God, go to church, live a good life, you know. Press on in. Take hold of the prosperity that God has for us. And if you're not prospering, if you're not being blessed, you're doing something wrong. It doesn't work out like that, folks. It's not in the book like that. God loves to bless. But his priority in this age is to make Christ known. And Christ Jesus is the one who went to Calvary, went and died on a cross for the sins of the world. And in this age, as followers of Jesus, as Jesus himself said, we are called to take up our own cross. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. Anybody had any trouble? Anybody? Only, only a third of you. I want to be part of this church. <laughs> wow, I've been doing it wrong. Hands up if you know trouble. Right, there you go. Now we're getting real. Somebody put two hands up. Yeah. <laughs> You're not doing it wrong. I know people, you know, people who've come to me in our church, we have a very wide ethnic, um, a lot of ethnic diversity. And some people have come to us and their background, they, they say, Pastor, Pastor, will you bless me? Will you pray a blessing upon me? You know, this is happening in my life. That's happening in my life. You know, we're, we're tithing. We're doing this. We're doing that. But the wheel's falling off our lives. We don't know what we're doing wrong. Please, Lord, Pastor. And you know, part, the first thing to say is you're not doing anything wrong. God bless you. Who told you you were doing something wrong? What, you're not driving a Mercedes? Listen. You don't need to drive a Mercedes. Jesus never drove around in a Mercedes. Peace be with you. So the truth of the matter is that... What time are we supposed to finish? I can't see the clock. <laughs> what time is it? What time do you normally finish? 12.30, fine, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I saw Steve looking at his watch. <laughs> he says he was adjusting the strap, yeah. Adjusting the strap. Um, what was I talking about? Yeah. A prosperity gospel. Listen, the folk, folks, the truth of the matter is, as we read that, we suddenly realized we can't skip that phase of dying to self. This gospel, and I, you know, we're, we've grown up. We're big boys and girls now. If the gospel is going to mean anything to Aylesbury in this area, it's going to be because Christians like you and me lay down our lives because it's worth it, and more specifically, he's worth it. A prosperity gospel means nothing to our clients, our friends who come to the storehouse because they're just struggling week by week by week. But a gospel that is shared, a good news that is shared by people who know what it is to have tough times, they can identify with that. You know, Lynn read out, was that Isaiah 59 you read? 58, yeah. 
Isaiah 58. It's all there. Jesus didn't come and visit this earth riding on a white stallion, wearing a crown and the sword of heaven. He came as a baby born in a stable, as you well know. Scripture says he was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. In this life, we've got to forgive the expression, we've got to man up. This is a tough gospel. But the good news is that if we die, then we know kingdom life. You see, the mustard seed dies in the ground, and then life comes. So Flissie and I and the family, we began to realize that God was sowing us. I remember we got back from the States, and literally we got off the plane. The following day, we went to this house in St. Albans, which a friend had seen and we'd rented. We'd done it all by sort of over the, across the oceans but with fax machines. Anybody remember fax machines? We didn't even know what the house was like. We walked in and my girls burst into tears because it was all painted brown, you know, very 60s. And, uh, but, but the first day we were the, it moved in and my son sat on the, 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 you know, the step outside the house, a little cul-de-sac, kids are out playing, it's great. And he sat there, and he's, he's looking like a Californian kid, which is what he was. You know, he's been out in California for a year playing t-ball and all this kind of stuff. And he's got his sneakers on, and he's got his Bermuda shorts, and he's got his cool T-shirt, and he's got his baseball hat, and he's got his baseball glove, and he's got his baseball, and he's going like this. And the local kids are driving up and down the street going, what a dork. <laughs> and I saw this guy, oh, dear, you know, I felt such... You know, my own grief projecting at my son. Oh, son, what have I done to you? You know, why we do it? And I said to him, son, you know, why, do you know why we're doing this? Do you know why we have had to do all this? And he looked at me without a blink of an eye. He said, yeah, because if we don't do this, people will go to hell. He's eight. My kids knew it. We were bare, we, he quickly adapted, you know, put the baseball bat and, and stuff away and quickly adapted, but... But, you know, we had to die to self, die to what we were in order to immerse ourselves in the culture. And then the promise is that as that happens, life comes. The mustard seed grows, it becomes a plant, it becomes a shrub, it becomes a tree. And every good, healthy church, and that's what, you know, Mick and Lynn sowed 21 years ago. That's what Steve and Lynn took up 21 years ago at very considerable cost, I might add. You know that you're a senior pastor today. You know, they both had great careers. Steve was a, was a big shot in the city. <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, they gave it up. They, let, they paid that price to become servants of Christ, to serve the people of this city and to love and serve you and lead you and lead you. But as we lay down our lives, so the life of the resurrection begins to course through our veins. And we found ourselves in this extraordinary situation where we were just so kind of, so weak, so harassed by people, so, so desperately trying to keep food on the table. I literally wept before the Lord because I just did not know with like five days to go where the rent was coming from. Some of you have, know what that's like. Four kids, and how are we going to... How are we going to cope? I remember one, probably the worst moment for me, to be honest with you, was when my son came home and said, the school, my year group's going to Germany. 
And I said, how much it would cost? And I think he said 167 quid or something like that. There was no way. I said, I'm so, really sorry, son. We just can't do it. And he said, oh, that's fine. I, I, I didn't really want to go anyway. It's fine. No problem. I discovered that out of his year group, he was the only kid that did not go. And he didn't tell me that until about seven or eight years later. I said, well, what did you do all week? He said, well, they kind of wandered around the library and stuff like that. I, I, oh, God, it's true. If I'd known I'd sold a kidney, you know, like you would have done. Tough times. But all the time people were coming to Jesus. I remember praying, God, you know, we're nearly overwhelmed by the practicalities, but we've got to get, I've got to get into seeing what you're doing, Lord. I've got to... I've got to be able to embrace what you're doing. Please help us to start this church. We've got to lead someone to Christ. And so show me who, who to go to. And it turned out that one of our, the kids who started playing with our, uh, our kids, her surname was Angel and lived down the road. And there was another kid called the Godly. And I said, Lord, you know, I know I'm stupid, but really, I mean. So we befriended them and they did an alpha and they came to Christ. In fact, Nadine Angel ended up being our administrator for quite a while. But the Lord really helped us, encouraged us. He knew how weak we were. And people started coming. And all we did was worship together. All we did was pray together. And all we did was study God's word together. And the thing began to grow. I know, I remember about two years in. Two years in, I'd got up very early before, about, I say very early, about half six was early for me. Half six on a Sunday morning. Threw some clothes on. Rushed up to uh, a church, an Anglican church where we stored our tower truck, which was loaded with our gear. We towed it. I towed it up to the school that we were meeting in. I unloaded all the sound equipment. I set all the sound equipment up on my own. And as I finished, this, the musicians arrived and various people started arriving to do kids' work and stuff. And I said, okay, we're good, we're good. great. I'm, I shot home, I jumped in the shower, I uh, you know, ate a piece of toast and slurped some coffee, then rushed back out, chucked all the kids in the car, a big old Volvo we had, back up to the school. Now that morning I wasn't preaching, I wasn't uh, leading worship, which was unusual, but I was preaching. And during the worship, suddenly I was overwhelmed with tiredness. I thought, this is killing me. And I knelt down at the front. I often do that anyway, so nobody thought much of it. But I knelt down at the front. And I I said, God, I am exhausted. God, I I don't know how long I can do this. I I am just so burdened. And I've got this this financial stuff. And I'm I'm just, I don't know whether I can do this anymore. And the Lord very clearly said to me, just listen. Just listen. I thought, oh, there's a prophetic word coming or something like that, you know. Okay. (laughs) And nothing came. And I said, well, I've got to preach soon. What? You know. (laughs) And the Lord just said, listen. Okay. Right, I'm listening. And I felt the Lord say, I didn't hear him this time, but he said, "What, what do you hear? I was listening, and then I, it, it struck me. I heard a church at worship. And I wasn't out there punching the air and driving it. I wasn't leading it. 
I was in a mess at the front on the floor. And the Lord, I said to the Lord, I hear a church at worship. And he said, Chris, that's our baby. And I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Because this baby had life. You know, those of you mums and dads, those of you who are hoping to be mums and dads, if you're hoping and trying and not, nothing's happening, let's pray for you this morning. But you know that first baby, and you get it home from hospital, and you're thinking, oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember taking our, home, our, our, our first child, Noel, home, and we had this big old Labrador in those days, and Fliss straight away took the, the child up to the nursery that we'd prepared for in our lovely house in the country. And I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs, not knowing what to do with myself, feeling a bit spare, and the dog's sort of sitting there, looking up at the, staring up the thing, and I hear the baby cry, and the dog goes, <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're in trouble now, mate, you know. <laughs> Life's never going to be the same again. But that baby has life. Yeah, it depends on you for everything, but what a miracle. And that baby, two years in, that little baby church, it had life. It was doing its own thing. It was worshipping. And suddenly, things began to change. It wasn't as desperate. Yeah, we had many sleepless nights. We had power struggles. We had people trying to take over the church. People slagging us off. People were, and those were just the family, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know but um, suddenly you just realize that God's in this thing. And this thing is going to grow. And isn't it just the way of things that there is something absolutely irrepressible about life? I've got a lovely little picture of a ceiling. Just throw that up on the screen for me. That little thing, it looks so weak and vulnerable, and we felt like that. But do you know, those little things can break up concrete. If a pine, you know, pine cones, they have seeds in them. If they get in the cracks of concrete, they will break concrete up. God has his life you think death is the last word? Life is the last word. Life is absolutely irrepressible. We get stuck on the death thing. Even Christians get stuck on the death thing. When you start preaching about dying to self, you think, I'm not sure I can do that. But the truth of the matter is, if you will but die and take up your cross, then you will see God move through you in ways you never dreamt possible. Aylesbury Vineyard has arrived. It's known in the city. It has a great reputation with other churches. It's had great reputation with local government and social services. But there is a challenge. Are you going to stay here? Are you going to clamber off the altar now? I would advise you to stay on the altar. Die to self again. Risk it all if needs be. Because the truth of the kingdom is that with every new beginning comes a necessary ending. And so I want to applaud you and I want to congratulate you on this time. But I want to inspire and envision you with what God wants. Let's finish with this Revelation 22, just a little verse here, that, and then I'll explain what I, why I want to read it. Read it. Right at the end of the book, it says here, Then the angel showed me a river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
down in the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. I have a vision, which I'm sure is shared by many, that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be like a tree of life. You know, this tree of life imagery is very rich. We see it at the beginning of the Scripture and at the very end of Scriptures. I believe that when God looks upon the earth, he wants to see every bit of landmass, as it were, figuratively speaking, green, that every, every church of Jesus Christ might become a tree of life that is healing for the nations, a tree which manifests every ministry, the fivefold ministry, every opportunity. And like, and like Matthew's mustard tree, it doesn't support, just support life for itself, but other ministries can come and make their nest like the birds of the air, that its trunk supports all lots of little bugs and healthy things and hedgehogs in the you know, leaves underneath. I'm getting a bit picturesque here, aren't I? All of that kind of thing. The church should be a dem- demonstration of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I'll finish with this little story. Just heard it this week. There's a little girl. She's in class, and they've been set a little time to draw whatever they want to. And this one little girl, she's normally pretty difficult, but the teacher notices that she's really engrossed in something. So the teacher is curious. She wanders back, creeps up behind her, and, and the child's diligently drawing something. Can't, teacher can't quite make out what it is. So she says to the child, she says, what is, what's, that you have made? what's that you're drawing? And the child says, I'm drawing a picture of God. So the teacher says, that's very interesting. I don't think anybody knows what God looks like. And the little girl looks at her and says, well, they will in a minute. The people of this nation, this world, do want to see what God looks like. The most perfect revelation is in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the head, but we are the body. God bless you guys. Die to self. Let resurrection life flow through you. Forget these other gospels that are floating around and see what God can do.